Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Today, we have Dr. Michael Brown joining us. Um, I've followed Dr. Michael Brown for a number of years now, and fortunate enough to, to be able to get to know him some, and we've connected in various countries, I think over about 10 years now. Um, so to start, could you just say in a couple of minutes who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Yes, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus by his grace. Um, born into a Jewish home in New York City in 1955. Uh, we moved to Long Island in the early 60s, and we were nominal Jews. So Jews, in a sense, of we knew that we were not Christians or Gentiles. Uh, Jews, in terms of knowing it was important and part of our heritage, but not religious Jews uh, following the laws strictly and so on. So I was born mitzvah when I was 13, but the event that really impacted me was going to my first rock concert, seeing Jimi Hendrix in concert. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I had started playing drums already. This is part of the whole counterculture revolution of the 60s, 1968, which was a year of tremendous upheaval in uh, American and world history. And I got really caught up with the whole rock scene, the whole rebellious spirit of the age. I started getting high at 14, was shooting heroin at 15, and got the nicknames Drug Bear and Iron Man because of the decadent, crazy way I lived. And at the age of 16, my two best friends and fellow band, band members got saved. I went to a church to pull them out, and God saved me, uh, radically transformed my life almost overnight. And my dad was thrilled to see the change in my life. But he said, Michael, we're Jews. Uh, we don't believe this. You need to talk to the local rabbi. So he brought me to meet the local rabbi. That began a lifelong friendship. But he would constantly challenge me. You don't even know Hebrew. Who are you to tell us what to believe? So that led to me doing serious study in college and grad school, earning a PhD in Semitic languages. So I've been active in that ever since, Old Testament scholarship, biblical scholarship. I've also been active in answering Jewish objections to Jesus and have written many books and done many debates on that subject. Uh, and over the years, traveled, preached around the world, been out of the United States, probably about 200 trips around the world. My heart has beat for years for revival, for outpouring. I had the privilege of serving as a leader in the historic Brownsville Revival from 1995 to 2000. I was there the last four years of it. Uh, out of that, we raised up a ministry school, Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, which became Fire School of Ministry. And through that, we sent out laborers who were serving around the world. Some have been on the field uh, over 20 years. Some have internationally known ministries. And uh, over, as the years have gone on, I've spent a tremendous amount of time writing and then doing a radio show and speaking. And our ministry, uh, Ask Dr. Brown, has a threefold emphasis, uh, all with the letter R, revival, revolution, and redemption. So we are burdened to see revival in the church, the church awakened, the church ablaze for God, and then a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in society. Jesus radically changing us, and we go by his grace and power and change the world around us through the gospel. And then redemption, redemption in Israel, seeing the lost sheep of the house of Israel come to faith. So Jewish people worldwide, but especially within Israel. So this has been a threefold focus of our lives for many, many years. And everything that we do really falls into one of those three categories. And for those that don't follow you at the minute, if they want to check out your resources, where can they do that? 
Yes, if they go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. I normally write five op-ed pieces a week, so five articles on current events each week. Uh, all the articles are posted there. Uh, my daily radio show, five days a week, talk radio. The links for the show are posted there as well, along with many other videos, messages that we've done. So thousands of hours of, of free resources at askdrbrown.org. And then we have full-time online school, Fire School of Ministry, for those that want to study with those who've been in the fires of revival, grounded in the Word, full of the Spirit, with a burning heart to change the world. We've taken our entire program and put it online. So fireschoolofministry.com is the other place to go to find out about the school. Okay, and we'll put those links in the description. It feels like you write a new book every five minutes. So uh, <laughs> your articles come thick and fast, but your books do too. Um, for us as a ministry, one of our key scriptures has been 1 Chronicles 12, 32. Uh, yes. Sons of Issachar, knowing the signs of the times and also what Israel should do. And uh, we've launched a new network called the Issachar Network, where we have people from around the world coming together to really wrestle with what does it mean and look like for us to be men of Issachar today to understand what the signs of the times are and what should we be doing. Um, for you, uh, a lot of the things that you do, I think, are, are so relevant um, that even in the intro to your, your radio show, you say your voice of a reason for moral, cultural and a spiritual revolution. Um, and we'd love to sort of dive into that. And what would it take to see a moral, cultural and spiritual revolution, especially in the days that we're living in now, where I think it's blatantly obvious that we need a revolution spiritually, morally and culturally? Yes. So let, let me back up and say that the 1960s saw revolutionary times. It really was a counterculture revolution. And many of the things that were extreme at that time, many of the things that were fringe, many of the things that were just rising up in, in protests and riots, those things have become totally mainstream. I mean, think of this for a minute. The Stonewall riots in 1969, which really birthed the modern gay activist movement, it had precedents before that and activists before that. But that's when things dramatically shifted. So the riots in June 1969 in New York City, and it was, they, were, they were literal riots. Uh, police were physically under attack. Uh, ultimately, thousands of people took to the streets. You had transvestites marching, as they were called at that time, transvestites. It, it, anyone looking at it would have said, this is rebellion, this, this, is, this is wrong, the chanting, what was happening, the attacks on the police. Think of it that when President Obama uh, is inaugurated for the second time, that he celebrates different events in American history. He celebrates Seneca, Selma, and Stonewall. Mm -hmm. uh, Seneca was a, a women's liberation movement, you could say, in the 1800s, the, you know, feminism, etc. Selma was civil rights in the 1960s, and Stonewall, Stonewall. This is now one of the great events in American history. I can virtually guarantee you that the people marching at that time never envisioned a day when the Supreme Court of the United States would literally redefine marriage and say, that it is the union of two men or two women, along with one man and one woman. They were actually anti-marriage. That, that to them was this patriarchal institution that needed to be overthrown. They never would have envisioned 
that, that country after country, including England, the UK, would, would make similar decisions and redefine matters. This was this not on their radar at all. The radical feminists who were marching with, with groups like WITCH, that was the acronym, the Women's International Conspiracy from Hell. That was the name of the feminist group. They, they were not envisioning the day when abortion on demand would be legal in American nations. And just in America, we have aborted over, over 60 million little ones legally. Uh, this would have been so far out, the possibilities of it. The idea of someone like William Ayers, who was part of the Weathermen, an underground movement involved in bombing buildings, anti-war protests and things like that, that he would end up being a respected college professor who would mentor someone like Barack Obama or mentor some of the leaders of the current Black Lives Matter movement. This was just surreal that any of this would happen. And yet it's happened. And, and things have gotten even more extreme. So there was a revolutionary movement in the 60s, but much of the church didn't understand what was happening. Much of the church looked at this as this is signs of a last day's rebellion and we're out of here any moment. And then God answered the prayers of his people. And there was a great turning of hippies, rebels, radicals. And beginning in 67 into the early to mid 70s was what we call the Jesus people movement or the Jesus revolution. And that also had a tremendous impact and, and hundreds of thousands of people like me, hippies, rebels, radicals, got wonderfully, gloriously saved. Something beautiful happened, but even, even then, the churches were not ready. Even then, the churches did not understand, for the most part, what was happening. And, and there, was, there was not a consciousness of the fact that, that God was moving and all these young people were, were pouring in. So as, as a result of that, much of the harvest was lost. There were not new wineskins for the new wine. And, and then there was no real burden out of that. We've got to have a counterculture Jesus revolution that pushes back against what's happening in the world around us. And, and now we find ourselves where we are today. And we've been shouting since the late 1990s and early 2000s that we are in revolutionary times, that we are in times of massive cultural shift, and that the only answer is a fresh Jesus revolution. And it begins with revolution in the church. It begins with the understanding that church, as we know it, must change in many ways. Thank God for good churches, healthy churches, thriving churches, but for the most part, we are not mobilizing the body. For the most part, we have more of a spectator Christianity. For the most part, there's not much to distinguish the church from the world. And, and we've been shouting this out. We've been saying revolutionary change is coming. And then if we just focus in one area, say LGBTQ activism, society's changed around us it, it, in shocking ways, in, in ways that you had, for example, in, in 2015 at the University of Cardiff in Wales, that Jermaine Greer, one of the feminist icons, uh, famous since 1970 for, for her book, uh, Female Eunuch, that, that there are protests to try to stop her from speaking at the university because she said that transgender women, in other words, a, a man who identifies as a woman, transgender women are not really women and undermine the feminist movement. She becomes the villain. The radical feminist of the 70s 
become the villain, becomes the villain of the 2010s and 2020s. J.K. Rowling, one of the, the best-selling authors of all time with her Harry Potter books, she's under constant attack because she took issue with a statement about people menstruating. She said, it's not people who menstruate, it's women who menstruate. That's a transphobic and all this. I mean, we've seen the shift in front of our eyes. We've been shouting for years that, that, that we're in these revolutionary cultural changes. Most have not listened. Well, now people have to listen because we're in the midst of public, open, revolutionary times. In other words, with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, which we separate from the important proclamation that Black Lives do matter, especially in America, where many Blacks have felt for, for decades and centuries that their lives do not matter in the eyes of a white society. So we absolutely, at the top of our lungs, shout, yes, 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 Black Lives Matter. But we separate from the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a radical Marxist iconoclastic movement, which wants to tear down uh, heritage, which wants to undermine, in its own words, the Western nuclear family, which has a queer agenda, which is strongly anti-Israel with anti-Semitic roots. This is what is now marching through our streets, not just in America, but in different nations as well. And it's not just that suddenly people around the world got a social conscience and that suddenly people around the world are more sensitive to racial issues. Instead, what it is, is that there are agitators who are sparking this, and especially younger people getting on board. This is not just what we saw in the 60s where behind the anger and rebellion and occasional violence, there was a deep spiritual search and people looking for a, a better way of life and, and more meaning to life. This is violent from the get-go. And what's happening behind the scenes is the question, as Sons of Issachar, what do we discern? What do we see? And, and there is, in the midst of the, the cry, there is a search for meaning because there's, there's a little purpose or meaning in life. And as one of my colleagues said when, when he was out on the streets of Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed, so this was kind of the epicenter of the protests and riots, he said that when he was out seeing the looting and the crowds, he said, I saw generations of fatherless children and I saw it culminating in this. So we've got to step back and get a spiritual perspective on what's happening as it happens, and then recognize that with COVID-19, with the inability to have our normal gatherings and services, that this is, this is also God shouting at us about the meaning of church, about being the church being even more important than, quote, going to church. Not that we cancel larger meetings, but we have to figure out how we can make an impact in every sphere of society as God's people, unashamed of the gospel, living by our convictions, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, it's really now or never. Because what we're facing now is a cancel culture. And one wrong word and you are banned and you are banished and you are expelled. And, and don't think this is just something happening in the secular world. The ultimate ones who will be in the crosshairs the ultimate target of this attack is the church. Make no mistake about it. Our values, our beliefs will come under assault. We will not be given the freedom to hold to them. This will be an all-out assault, the likes of which we've never seen in, our, in, in, in modern history. This will be an all-out assault on our freedoms and liberties.
it, this is this is open, this is overt, and only a radical Jesus revolution can turn the tide. The awakening must begin with the church and then spreads to the society. And, and that is going to require an army of evangelists going out, preaching the good news, winning the lost, and a church ready to make disciples. That's the only way we can stem the tide. The being attacked is not new to you. Uh, it's something that you've dealt with for a long time. And I think, you know, we're getting to a point now where actually it's going to be thrust on everyone. And yep. probably a lot of people are, are terrified uh, of things like cancel culture, which is a real thing. We're starting to see people say things or things taken out of context. And not just they pay a price for it, but family members pay a price for it. All of them are cancelled. And so, you know, what advice would you give to, to individuals in the church about how they handle this, how do they deal with it personally, the, the fear that they may have of speaking up and being someone that speaks out against this all-out assault on, on culture right now in the church? Yeah, it's, it's an important question. And, and what we have to do is redig the foundation of the cross in our lives. We need to cross a line in our personal lives where we say, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to be known as a follower of Jesus. So, for example, uh, it, in my own life, if, if I was struggling with this and I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I re get rejected on social media, what if my stand gets to my boss and my boss doesn't like it and they go to human resources, the next thing I'm fired? Uh, what if people start you know, saying bad things about my children? What do we do? So it starts with getting with the Lord, getting alone with him, going back to the cross first in terms of our salvation, the price that was paid for us, the recognition that we don't belong to ourselves, that we belong to him, the understanding that this world is not our eternal home, that we are here to be witnesses. And then we make a fresh pledge, Lord, Whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, be it rejection, hatred, even death, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I'm your servant. I'm here for you. In my weakness, be strong. In my inability, rise up. And just say, Lord, I trust you for grace for the hour. And then don't try to force things. Don't try to be a martyr. Don't be a troublemaker. But when something comes your way, speak. When you have an opportunity to, to share something that represents your heart, share it and don't think, well, if I do, what's going to happen? When people are speaking freely on your job, speak freely. Or look for opportunities to be strategic, to take someone aside, to share the gospel with them. And then every day, start your day, Lord, here I am, your servant. I want to be used by you. I want to make an impact. You, you might be... 90 years old and don't get out of the house much, that prayer works. God can use you right where you are. You might be a young mom with a two-year-old twins and a six-month-old baby, and, and just getting through the day is, uh, without collapsing is a challenge. God can use you in the midst of that. Uh, as one of our friends said, a, a young mother that uh, when she was in Bible school, she was ready to change the world. She had this great vision of how God was going to use her. And uh, she said, I went from changing the world to changing diapers, you know, married now with kids. And then she said, then it struck me, I'm going to change the world one diaper at a time. So every day as she was raising her kids, you know, when her husband's out working and she's doing what she's doing, every day was raising kingdom warriors. Every day raising kids are going to make a difference. 
uh, you might be in a very mundane job and you don't seem to have any influence, you never know how God can use you. You never know what divine appointments will come your way. You never know how your voice can go out, be it social media. You never know. So every day, Lord, here I am. Use me. I want to make a difference. And then see if he starts giving you a vision in the business world, in the educational world. In other ways, Lord, where can I serve and make an impact? And it, it's not always something you plan. In other words, it may be something perfectly innocent. And next thing, the whole world is talking about your story because God chose to use you. You have to die to self, not meaning that we become perfect, but we understand I'm not here to please me. I'm not here to, to have a nice life. I'm here to honor the Lord and let the chips fall where they may. We um, travel to many persecuted nations over the years and um, we, I've asked them two questions consistently. How did persecution come to this nation? And did you see a dividing line between those that stood and those that fell under, under mm. persecution? And, and the answers I got, well, one wasn't surprising and one was, but one was it came in piece by piece, little by little, till it went so far we couldn't turn it back, which should be a big red flag to all of us. The other one, um, which did surprise me. They said a huge factor was that people had faced it ahead of time, had considered it, and actually they made their commitment to follow Jesus no matter what ahead of time, that they weren't caught by surprise. And it has surprised us how little people are really being challenged with this. There's the soft gospel, but there's the go for it, give your life gospel. And from our experience, we think people are waiting for a go for it, give your life gospel. Yeah, I, I can confirm that. Uh, I can absolutely <laughs> confirm that. Be, and, and here's a very, very simple way I can confirm it. When I will, aside from the fact that, that people have said amen to that message as I've traveled around the world, but uh, when I will tweet out, I started to notice this, especially on Twitter, because that's just little bite-sized sayings. When I will make some statement, some strong statement along these lines, you know, uh, speaking against the, the what's in it for me, self-exalting, uh, cross-bypassing gospel, and talk about the need to preach repentance, overwhelmingly, almost without fail, if it's worded sharply and clearly, those are the most popular tweets. Those are the ones that people are saying, yes. In other words, although, yes, the, the way, the road to destruction is wide, we understand that. And that it is very popular on a certain level to preach an ear-tickling gospel. On another level, people are hungry and they are serious. And, and it's also been demonstrated in polls like George Barna, who's the, the top Christian pollster, that he's seen that, that in conservative churches, that overwhelmingly they want their pastors to address the difficult cultural issues and take on the controversies. They don't want to bypass this. And, and when it comes to spiritual preparation, uh, just, just think of this. Uh, if, if you suddenly want to run a marathon and, you, and you're 40 years old and overweight and you haven't been training, you're going to jog a few seconds, literally, and that's it let alone jog a mile, let alone jog 26 miles. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's the same with anything else. 
if you haven't studied math in 10 years since you got out of school, and now you have to pass a detailed, difficult math test, and, and you haven't been preparing, you're going to flunk that. So it's the exact same thing spiritually. Uh, a lot of our churches in the West live in a somewhat of a spiritual fantasy. We live as if we're, the world is our happy home, and everyone's going to like us and accept us, and, and you know, following Jesus kind of makes you into a celebrity. Whereas around the world, as I've traveled to persecuted nations as well, uh, many Christians understand that following Jesus means they, they might die. Uh, every year when I, when I go to India, uh, the brother that I work with there will do a baptismal service. And, and when we're doing the baptisms, he asks the people at baptism, when he finishes this basic confession of faith, he asks them, are, are you willing to die for Jesus? Basically, he says, are, are you willing to give your, your last drop of, of blood, your last breath for him? Um, one brother was, was on my radio show. He works in the Middle East with uh, the Muslim world. And he said before they baptize a former Muslim, they ask him two questions. Two questions. Number one, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Number two, are you willing to die for Jesus? If they don't get a yes on both of them, they don't baptize them. So if you look at church history, if, if you look at uh, what's happening in different parts of the world today, you know, Christians in Nigeria, Christians in India, martyrdom is, is a way of life. Not that they like it or enjoy it. It's, it's horrific for them as for anyone else, but they understand what it means to follow Jesus. China, the persecution is, is being upped and in an open way, even now. Uh, this is normal. Jesus said, if the world hates me, it will hate you also. Paul wrote that all those who live a godly life in Messiah Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, I, I remember in uh, 2007, I was going to do a lecture series on homosexuality, the church, and society. God had called me to begin addressing LGBT issues in 2004 with the word, reach out to the people with compassion, resist the agenda, with courage. And uh, we were going to hold a lecture series in our city. We booked a place that we didn't know was known as Gay Central. It was right in the heart of, of the city. Uh, a colleague called, and, and the, uh, the place we were booking wanted us to have a police there each night. So we had, we had a police officer in case there was any trouble. One of my friends who was a Christian attorney and on the front lines of many of these battles he said, Mike, have you considered what might happen? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, have you considered, you know, you get crazy people on, in every camp and every group that somebody may come after you. I said, what are you saying? I don't follow. He said, well, Mike, have you thought through that there might be physical violence if you do this? I said, bro, I, I crossed that line when I got saved. <laughs> you know, just that you get saved, your life belongs to the Lord. I read much about the persecuted church and I don't think I'm some strong person. In other words, I don't think if you threw in some prison cell of rock that, I, that I'd be just happy-go-lucky. You know, I pain bothers me like anybody else. I don't think of myself as any kind of hero at all. But in terms of the, the mental attitude, in terms of, yeah, we follow Jesus, whatever the cost or consequence. Yeah, I, I thought that's what happened when we got saved. So we, we need to go back to that. When we, when we lead people to the Lord, we need them to understand the seriousness of what it means. It can't only be Get your sins forgiven and go to heaven. As wonderful as it is, there must be an understanding. You are now under the lordship of Jesus, and there are consequences for that. 
if we lead people to the Lord rightly and make disciples rightly, and then they, they encounter the power and life of the Spirit on top of that as the, as the exclamation point in their faith, they'll do just fine in the midst of it. And the church will grow and thrive in the midst of it. But it's, it's a sobering time. It's a wake-up time. It's, it's yeah. a time to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. My, uh, my mom, my, my co-host, uh, was a part of the team that went to help bring Richard Verbrand out of Romania from Solitary Really? Oh, yeah. And she ended up traveling with him as his bodyguard, which is hilarious <laughs> if people know how big my yeah. mom is. But, uh, I was a teenager. At the time, yeah. So, you got to be kidding um, me. So she ended up getting lots of stories and hearing lots from him about what he went through. And, and she would hear various stories. And so he has therefore deeply impacted my life and, and my sister's mm. life. And, and I remember one story that uh, he would meet with young people who wanted to give their lives to Christ. And he would take them to the zoo and go and stand before the lion's den. And he would say to them, your forefathers gave their lives to these lions because of their faith in Jesus. You know, are you willing to do the same? And so this was the, the introduction to the faith that he would wow. give these young people. And, uh, you know, we speak at a lot of conferences around the world. And we when we have young people and we say to them, you know, you have to be willing to give your lives. Are you willing to go to countries where you may not come back again? And you just see these young people break down in tears and flood the front as they say, yeah, we're willing to go. And we often talk to pastors and parents about this, that there is a generation rising up where the Holy Spirit is saying something to them. And they're willing to pay the price. It's just that the older generation is scared of giving them this message. And so therefore, when the Holy Spirit's not connecting with what he's saying to that generation, that we need to be willing to take the risk ourselves to, to pay the price ourselves as parents, as, as grandparents, to be able to give that challenge to this next generation, because they are ready to go and pay a price for yeah, it. Yeah, one thing I, I say, which usually shocks, especially if it's an interpreter, and I say, many say this is the Joshua generation to enter the land. I said, but no, I am not saying that. And you see the interpreter looking shocked when I say it. I say, no, 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 we're not gonna have that as our model. We're going to have a Moses and Joshua generation enter the land together this time. It doesn't have to be Joshua going without Moses. We have to have a Mordecai generation who will lead the way for the Esther generation. And uh, in the midst of all the chaos and the darkness, we do believe there is a generation rising up who is ready. If we will just connect with them, disciple them, go yes. with them and see God change this world in the midst of the darkness. Yes, uh, absolutely. If you see how many people are out in mass protests with concerns about a virus, of course, most young people don't really worry about that. But people are saying, I, I got to get involved and do something, even if it's with the wrong spirit or wrong attitude. I remember literally 20 years ago, having young people say to me, give me a cause and I'll mm -hmm. die for it. And, and look, as, as you have ministered for so many years to young people, uh, the phenomenon of, of kids cutting themselves. Why do they do that? It's with all the crazy things that, that I did as a teenager, that was not part of our culture. And when you ask, you, know, you, get, different, you get different answers. You know, one of the answers is that, that they, they don't feel pain. They're, they're so dull in their emotions that this is the only way they can feel something. Or conversely, mm. they live with so much internal pain that this is the only way to distract from the pain and you think what why are you in so much pain not to criticize to understand yeah. why 
what's going on in your life, the, the breakdown of family, the breakdown of godly values, it's, it's, it's had its, its, its deep impact. It's terribly painful impact. And when someone really comes alive in God, yeah, that, I don't care what the cost, what's the consequence, I want to go for it. In fact, sometimes we as elders have to give them some restraint in terms of, okay, I'm glad you're willing to die for Jesus, but right now yeah. it's, it's time to, you know, read the Bible and, and uh, be nice to your parents and make your bed, you know, just, okay, I appreciate the zeal, but there is something, especially with younger people who haven't gotten as established with the things of the world to just want to run and go for it. We had one of our young men, uh, one of the grads from our ministry school in the Middle East killed about five years ago, mm. martyred. And uh, it was, they were in a Muslim country. They knew what the consequences would be. Uh, he was 29 years old, married with two little children, uh, part of an, an amazing team that was over there. And they all knew the risks on their lives. He actually had a talk with his wife and said, if, if I die, I want you to remarry. He said, I don't have that conversation. He said, no, we're having it. And uh, then he was killed by terrorists. And when I spoke to his wife after his funeral, we were able to get his body and bring it back to the States. I said, any regrets? She said, no, no, no regrets. Would have done the same thing all over again. I mean, it's, it's utterly remarkable. But when you really know Jesus, when he's your all in all, this is reality. Eternity is, is, is reality. So it, it is time for the simple gospel message, which is quite radical. It is time for the simple gospel message and for for uh, people to stand up and say, hey, here we are. Here we're, Lord, just what are the marching orders? Whatever it is, one-way ticket to Afghanistan, so be it. Stand up and testify in my school, so be it. Start a Bible study in my neighborhood, so be it. Extended prayer and fasting, so be it. Start a blog that everyone's going to hate, so be it. What, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. We are living in revolutionary times. In fact, on my radio show a couple hours from now, that's going to be my simple theme. The revolution is here. The things we've talked about, the things we've warned about, the things that have been growing and building are now right here shouting to us, shouting to us. What are we going to do this time around? Are we going to sleep our way through another revolution or are we going to wake up and be the real world changers? Because we were there with you when, uh, when that person was killed in the Middle East and it was a, a deeply moving time to be able to be there with you all and kind of walk through a few days as you process yeah. that. Um, yeah, the, uh, hopefully people will be encouraged uh, listening to this and challenged to, to be willing to pay that price, to, to really count the cost. We, we've seen too much over the last few years where churches have tried to become sort of user-friendly, seeker-friendly, and have therefore ended up actually looking a bit more like the world than helping the world to, to enter into a, a different culture um, and to be that light in the darkness. And so hopefully over the next few years, as I think this is all just the start, um, we'll start to see the church and the body rise up and be willing to be that light in the darkness. Um, and we can see, a, obviously, a great movement of God happen I'm sure we will see it. And we are starting to see it even in the streets right now across the US and, and even in the UK as churches are starting to say, look, if we're not allowed to meet in our buildings, 
then we're taking it to the streets. Um, so God is, is doing some pretty amazing things. Yeah, and, and thank you, um, Dr. Brown, for the impact that you've had on us as a family, you've had on our ministry. One of the books that all our interns have to read is Revolution Call to Holy War. And uh, thank you, thank you for talking with us and thank you for challenging us to live what is, after all, a normal biblical life. Yes. I have no desire to be some superhero or radical. I just want to be a faithful disciple. And if we can live that out, and as you've done that amazing job joining the generations together and showing that young people can be full of the spirit, can lead people to Jesus, can make disciples, uh, what a great ministry it's been. Joining of the generations is key. So great to partner with you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Yeah, Brown. thank you so much. We appreciate you and we'll look forward to, to next time. Yes. Yep, God bless. Thank you for listening. If this impacted you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.